All right, today we're in Romans chapter number 3, and we'll start reading about verse number 24, 25, 26, right in there. And we'll be talking about redemption. We'll be talking about propitiation. We'll be talking about remission today. We'll be defining some of these phrases, some of these words. We'll be giving the definition to them. But before we get started today, let me announce to you that there will be a test right here. As you get to Romans class number 10, you should start working on this paper. And the paper is going to be an overview. There's no word limit or there's no a set amount of words that your paper has to be. In other words, you, you don't have to write 1,500 words or 2,500 words. But you have to do a an overview of what you've learned in the class in regards to Romans chapter 1 through 3. You can be very light in some areas. Like You can touch on something in chapter 1, touch on something in chapter 2, and really emphasize something that you learned in chapter 3. Or you can do that in any order you want to. You can be very light on chapter 2 and chapter 3 and really emphasize something that you learned in chapter 1. Or emphasize something in chapter 2 and go very light with chapter 1 and chapter 3. makes no difference how you do it. And really, there's no set amount of words that you have to uh, meet. But you do have to write a sufficient amount to let me know that you have actually studied the, the material covered in the class and that you are learning something, that you are learning something. Now, we could give out uh, test questions number 1 through 10 and have you do all kinds of stuff like that, but I, I'm not so certain that just about anybody could make their way through a test like that, and that's not really what the Christian life is all about in, in regards to learning the Bible. The Bible ought to be taught by a teacher and the Bible ought to be absorbed by a student. And that's really what we want to find out from the students of these classes. If you're absorbing the things that have been taught, these things, as far as I'm concerned, have been very basic. And uh, from time to time, the, the, uh, the level of learning might be a little higher, a little lower. It might be more advanced or less advanced. But as far as I'm concerned, overall, these classes are very simple. And they are a basis upon which you can uh, uh, build your own study throughout the rest of your life. You can learn these basics and build upon them for the rest of your life. And so these classes ought to be viewed as, uh, first of all, discipleship and then second of all something that you can build the rest of your life and even a ministry off of by putting your faith and trust in God's word you're learning from God's word and you can trust God's word and God's word should be the foundation for which uh, upon which your whole Christian life is based I'm doing this or I'm doing that or I'm doing the other thing because I saw it in God's Word, I understood it from God's Word, and I understand that this is what God expects of me as a Christian, of me as a minister, whatever the case might be. This is what God expects of, of me as a husband or as a wife. These things are, are the basics that you can learn and build on for the rest of your life. Alright, without any delay, let's get into Romans chapter number 3. And verse number 24, as I said before, this is Romans class number 10. Romans class number 10. 
And we start reading in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, uh, normally you would start with the first verse, verse number 24 in this case, and you would build up to verse 26, but I really want to touch on verse 26 first because it summarizes all of these things. That, remember, I said we we're going to talk about the word justified in verse 24. The word redemption in verse 24, the word propitiation in verse 25, and the word remission in verse 25. But he says to, de to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. So it's the declaration of his righteousness. The justification, the redemption, the propitiation, the remission, all these things are bound up in and wrapped up in the imputed righteousness of Christ which we receive when we when we trust him and are born again when a person gets saved God seals him with the Holy Spirit Ephesians chapter 1 he becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus and at his core at his center he bears the righteousness of Christ Jesus for uh, so that when God looks at us he doesn't see our merit he doesn't see our lack of merit but he sees the righteousness of his own son this gives us our relationship with him a relationship of a father with a son now this is an everlasting thing this is an eternal thing this is what we call eternal salvation this is what we call eternal life and this is what we call eternal security but on the other hand there is our state this we might be physically our state might be uh, undiscipled it might be undisciplined we we our state might be carnal instead of fit, uh, spiritual. Uh, our state may be very many things, and this defines our fellowship with God, 1 John chapter 1. So what we're talking about here in this passage of Scripture, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, well then that disqualifies every man. Well, if every man is disqualified, how then can we be qualified? And we can only be qualified through his righteousness. He lived. He lived according to the law. He died. He died in our place. Because he took upon himself our sin, he puts upon us his righteousness. And through his righteousness comes justification. When you get into Romans chapter 4, he says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath. He does have. He hath. He does have. We're off to glory, but not before God. So if there's something that you should do, if there is something that is your duty to do, and you do that, if you do that thing, if you do that good work, if you do what's expected of you, you can glory in that. You can say, praise God for this and praise God for that. And I was able to do this. I was able to abstain from doing that. You're justified because that's the right thing to do. But you're not justified before God. Your good works doesn't make you equal with God's goodness. So the good things that you do does not make you equal with God 
who never had to do any good to prove that he was good. He just is God. So what we're talking about here in this passage of scripture are things that need to be defined because they are included in our salvation. We're justified freely by his grace. We trust in Christ and we're justified freely. It's free justification. We're justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So when we trust in Christ, we submit that Christ is righteous, that Christ is good, that Christ is holy, that we are not. So when we subject ourselves to his righteousness, we are justified in doing that. The, the devil and the world may find many things to point its finger at us for and say, he's unrighteous in this, he's unrighteous in that act, he's unrighteous in this act, and can point out many of our flaws. But the fact that we've trusted in Christ, the fact that we've believed Christ, the fact that we've believed God, when his own people who marched through the Red Sea and saw the manna come down in the wilderness and saw the water come out of the rock, when they didn't believe God, when the proof was right before their eyes, we heard the gospel preached. Having never seen him, having never seen Christ, we believed his word which is one of the great things that God expected out of Israel but never got. When we do that as Gentile believers, God justifies us through that action. Believing in God justifies us, and it's a free justification by God's grace. And it says it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, redemption is the purchase or the repurchase, I should say, of captured goods. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things. This is straight out of the dictionary. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things. In our case, it would be deliverance from damnation, deliverance from sin, deliverance from the consequences of sin sin as far as eternity is concerned and he says uh, in the dictionary the act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things by the payment of an equivalent and uh, I recognize that this is a is a dictionary definition and the the definition given by the dictionary says by the payment of an equivalent well, how much more is God than we are? I mean, how much more worthy is God than we are worthy? How much more perfect is God than we are perfect? How much more sinless is God? We're not sinless at all. So the payment made for us, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, our payment was bought by a much higher price than we are ourselves, than we could provide ourselves. So Christ, in that he died a substitutionary death, well, the wages of sin is death. The death of a sinner doesn't mean much. But the death of a righteous man is a much greater payment for sin than any sinner could ever make. A sinner could die for his own sins and still go to hell. But Jesus Christ died for our sins and that delivered us from hell. So that, that redemption that was in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith. That word propitiation means uh, that it's an act of, of appeasing wrath, an act of appeasing wrath or conciliating the favor of an offended person. So the propitiation doesn't just take care of the side that needs the help. The propitiation is not just a payment that is 
redeeming something that needs redeemed, but there is an offended side of the equation. And that propitiation deals with the offended person. It's great that I'm able to be saved, but what about the offended God? It's great that I'm able to be forgiven of my sins, but what about the fact that those sins offended my God? What about the fact that our sins offended a righteous and a holy God? Uh, a God who demands that the soul that sinneth it shall die. Well, the propitiation, the sense that there is in the propitiation is not just that a sinner is redeemed, a sinner is bought back, but the propitiation means that the one who was offended has has now been made uh, uh, whole from his offended state in other words he's been appeased his he was mad but now he's not mad anymore he was offended but now he's not offended anymore a sufficient cause was given for him to no longer be offended in a normal case restitution would be made as far as the human uh, side of the equation goes if I steal from my brother just about the only way I can appease my brother is to pay back to my brother uh, what he lacked or what he's missing, what he was deprived of. Well, we can never fully satisfy a holy and a righteous God with unholy and unrighteous flesh. And so Jesus Christ, the Holy One, Jesus Christ, the Sinless One, died for our sins. And so God was able to receive a perfect payment. Uh, in other words, we offended him so, but Christ satisfied him so. Christ satisfied him sufficiently to take away his wrath from us. So we're talking about justification. We're talking about redemption. And we're talking about propitiation. The redemption provided that propitiation and so when we talk about the redemption we should also point out that not only did Christ pay death for death but he made provision for us after our death and even in our death the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is the word that it uses in verse number 24 and that redemption is a present redemption Romans 3 verse number 24 being justified freely Right now, being, that is, a, that is a present state of accomplishment. Being justified right now. Right now, I am justified. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is present redemption. I'm saved right now. I'm saved because the payment has already been made. And then as far as redemption is concerned, there's a bodily redemption. In Romans chapter number 8, and we'll cover these things when we get to Romans chapter 8, but in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 23, he says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. To wit, the redemption of the body. So the adoption is the redemption of our body. And so uh, with Romans chapter number 8, we could also read Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number, uh, Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, 
which is the earnest, the Holy Spirit of promise. Being sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest of our inheritance. Until when? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. The redemption of the purchased possession and the redemption of the body found in Romans chapter 8 verse number 23 is the same thing. So we have a present redemption. I am saved now. When my body dies and goes into the ground or when, when I'm changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and also uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, when this body is changed and made like unto his glorious body, that is a future bodily redemption. And so when it talks about being predestinated in, in Romans chapter 8, being predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that is talking about a future bodily redemption so we have a present uh, new birth redemption that is in Christ Jesus and we have a future redeeming of our body and God will be faithful to fulfill that promise there's no doubt in my mind so that leaves me now with one other word to define, and that word is remission. Verse number 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. Remember the beginning of the class when I pointed out verse 26 says the same thing. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. So the declaration of his righteousness, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Now, remission is oftentimes made exactly to mean the same thing as forgiveness. And that's not exactly what remission says. Remission certainly does include the forgiveness of sins. Because without forgiveness, there is no remission. That, that should be understood. But remission... Uh, means a passing over of sins, an abatement, a relaxation, a moderation. So this has everything to do with the power of sin. When uh, not only the forgiveness of sins, of course that is included, but also an abatement, a, a relaxation, a moderation. So it certainly does have something to do with a decrease of the power of that sin in our lives and our bodies. The definition goes on to say it's a release or a discharge from a duty. In this sense, forgiveness forgiveness would release us from the responsibility of sins past. Jesus Paid for those sins that are past. Now, our future sins are not going to drag us back into hell. We are not of them that draw back into perdition. You might draw back into, into a place of uh, no fellowship. You might draw back into a place of shame. You might draw back into a place where there's no power, no strength. But we don't draw back into perdition because we, because we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Our, our future is safe. And from our past, we are saved. There's no question about that. Uh, an intermission, an intermission is when a disease leaves the body. Remission is the subsidence of the force or the violence of a disease. It's still there. It's st in in medical terms. When you go into remission, whatever you're sick with is still there. But the power of that disease to break down has either temporarily or 
permanently stop. The breaking down, the spreading of that disease has subsided. For, it might be for a moment. It might pick back up. But remission means an abatement, a relaxation, a moderation. A disease might be destroying your body. You might begin to get treatment and that thing go into remission. It is totally different from intermission. It is so in, in the sense of the word remission, it's the same from the spiritual sense. When you're saved, the power of that sin has been put in check. The sins that are passed are paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those things are gone. Those things are forgotten. As you go forward, you can sin. There's no doubt about that. But if we sin, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And on a daily basis, we can restore our fellowship or lose our fellowship. According to John chapter 1, read John chapter 1, the, the epistle of John, 1 John chapter number 1. Read 1 John chapter number 1. It'll tell you, you walk in darkness, you're going to lose your fellowship. You will not lose your relationship. You will not lose your relationship, but you will lose your fellowship. The Bible says that your sins have separated between you and your God, that he will not hear you. That is a lack of fellowship. That is a breakdown of communication. That is not a breakdown of relationship. And so this word remission, it is the passing over of sins. The, the Lord is justified and the Lord is just in forgiving you your sins because your sin has been paid for. Now on a daily basis when we uh, in our personal sanctification and our personal uh, discipleship we come short, we sin, we pray and ask forgiveness and these things are taken care of on a daily basis and this is an upkeep of our fellowship. The Bible says keep yourselves in the love of God. The Bible says walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The Bible says walk worthy of God. These are all things that are talking about our standing. These are things that are talking about our personal daily walk with Christ. Our personal daily discipleship. Their personal daily fellowship with God. And so that's what these things are talking about. He says the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So very quickly those were definitions of real uh, important terms. Real important terminology. Doctrinal terminology that a Christian ought to get uh, very settled in his own heart and in his own mind, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. These, these verses, that uh, verse 24 through 26, that mention his justification, his redemption, his propitiation, and his, and his remission that he provides for us in these verses. Boy, these are very power-packed couple of verses to deal with verse number 27 where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works nay but by the law of faith therefore we conclude you don't have to go to heaven and make your case your case has already been made where is boasting then is it it is excluded by what law of works nay but by the law of faith the law of faith says that there's no reason for you to go and justify yourself before God you're justified with God through the Lord Jesus Christ freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded 
By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude, and here's the conclusion. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You are justified by faith without the deeds of the law. This will be a great focus in Romans chapter 4 when we get to Romans chapter 4. Verse number 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. God is our God. Amen. Verse 30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And I could mention here in verse 31, the establishment of the law will be a great emphasis as we go forward through chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. This idea of an established law, of the law being established rather than being made void is a great emphasis. There's a great emphasis in this. God is not done with the law. The law has not been done away. The law is the character of God. The law is the character of Christ. The law is a revelation. The law of God is a revelation of his mind, his principles, his thoughts, his ethics, if you want to use that word, which that's not a very important word in my vocabulary, but it is a very, uh, the, the law is a very clear indication of God's person, his personality, his principles, his ethics, his character. And that is a very big portion of the next few chapters that we'll be covering in our Romans class. All right, don't forget your paper and you can uh, you can submit that uh, to my email address, which I will make uh, which I will make uh, a part of this class or perhaps uh, the next class, I'll make uh, I'll make a note in the in the file that you find this class in, and you'll be able to submit your papers to the uh, to that email address. All right, God bless you. And we'll see you in the next class.